Hello and welcome to Understanding Our Times, the weekly program where we bring to you the current events of this world through a biblical lens. This week, I have with me again Lee Brainerd from Soothkeep. Uh, Lee, we're so thankful to have you. We can find you at soothkeep.info uh, on all kinds of different social media platforms. Lee, tell us a little bit about your ministry. Well, soothkeep is an old English word, uh, sooth, mm -hmm. truth, and keep, which is a fortress. And so soothkeep is truth fortress. This has been a vision on my heart since I was a babe in the Lord, mm. not merely to be right on different doctrinal issues, but to approach the Word of God in such a way that we're always looking for biblical theology, not theological theology. There you go. That's great. I want people to understand that you have a recent work uh, that you've really spent a lot of time on. Yeah. It's a new book. Um, you published it in about 2021, so it's a couple yeah. years old. But it's, yeah. that's new in the grand scheme of things, let's yes, believe it, it, even though we live in a digital age. Um, and it's entitled Apostasia, correct? Yes. And it's apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, rapture or apostasy. Okay. So really, in modern times, in the last, say, 100 years, yep. there has been a, uh, a surge of a handful of people saying that there's controversy here yep. in 2 Thessalonians yep. chapter 2, specifically verse 3 in that word, apostasia. Yes. Because they're saying that it's mistranslated or misunderstood yep. when it's a falling away. It's, yes. it's, it's actually better to be understood as a catching up, like a rapture text. Yes. So you spent quite a bit of time, effort, energy, writing, brain power, and Greek knowledge yeah. to do a deep dive. I sure did. I spent two years on this project. Wow. What well, got started is I was, uh, someone showed me a copy of a book okay. that was promoting the rapture understanding. Okay. And I read the book and I thought, well, okay, this is a pretty cool theory, mm -hmm. but I don't want to jump on a bandwagon just because it's a cool theory. And I had enough Greek under my belt. I was slightly skeptical, but I was willing to embrace it if it would uphold a rigorous examination. Okay. So I spent two years. I examined every instance in the extant literature that I could find. I looked at every appearance of the Greek word apostasia from 250 B.C. in Archimedes Sand Reckoner to 500 A.D. So that's 750 years of Koine Greek. I looked at 283 passages, every instance on the TLG website, the Thesaurus Linguae Greci website, read those passages in the original Greek in their context, mm -hmm. categorized them. And uh, what I found is that the Greek word apostasia is never, ever used for physical departure. Really? Not once. Never used for spatial departure. Okay. And then I also investigated the English translations because people would say, well, well, all the older translations prior to the Reims in 1582, they all had departure. Mm -hmm. And only from that era forwards did they translate with non-departure readings. Okay. So I went back and I examined the history of the English translations and the history of the Latin translations mm -hmm. and the history of the Greek or the German translations, and I discovered that this is simply not true. Okay. There's a whole string of translations prior to the 1582 that have non-departure renderings. Okay. Uh, so it goes all the way back to uh, in 1380, 1382, 1388, Wycliffe had dissension, not departure. Really? And so then we also see in 1300 in 
uh, a work called The Cursor Mundi, which it's a large poetic ballad. Okay. And it covers the history of the world from the angle of God's redemption. Mm -hmm. And in it, it quotes a lot of scripture. And in there, they talk about, um, when it comes to the Antichrist, they talk about the dis his dissension and the Antichrist rather than the departure in the Antichrist. So these readings are ancient. Mm -hmm. And so I also discovered that when you go to the, to the uh, English versions that use the word departure, right. in the introductions to the chapters and to the books, in the marginal notes and in the footnotes, they plainly tell us that they meant spiritual departure. It's a synonym with apostasy and falling away. So this whole idea that there was this a conspiracy <laughs> to take uh, departure out of the Bible and put apostasy in it, and that the Catholics fostered this on the Protestants, and us Protestants have just fell for it, this is, it's really a, just a fairy tale. It's simply not true. There's no historical reality there. So in essence, departure or dissension there means a falling away from the truth. That's right. The, if you go to a uh, Middle English dictionary and you look up the word departure, mm -hmm. it's going to give things like uh, dissension, disagreement, and, and things like that for the meaning of the word. Gotcha. So we can't take, it's an anachronistic to take the modern English meaning of departure and read it into the, the word in the 15 and 1600s. Absolutely. It's just a, it's a different verbiage that they're That's using right. that we're not used to. That's right. And it's very important to understand their context. That's exactly right. Well, as you know, Ken has been down in Australia and New Zealand with Tom Hughes, Brandon Holthouse, Billy Crone, Mondo Gonzalez, and Pete Garcia. And while he was there, he was able to pull a couple of them aside to hear their thoughts on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So let's hear what Pastor Billy Crone has to say about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So one last thing, there's a big controversy on the rapture and, and not when it's going to take place, but there's verses in the Bible. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. Yeah. What, what's your take on it? If you leave the text alone, which is what you're supposed to do, right. the Bible speak for itself, right. it's perfect pre-trip all the way, man, right. in the context. And what these guys do is they rip a verse out of context and try to apply that to the rapture when it's not even the rapture. It's the day of the Lord of the seven-year tribulation. Right. Right? And, and so, again, let me just, I'll, I'll read it through right. in its context. Right. right? Exactly. That's how you're supposed to read the Bible yep. in the context. Exactly. And then it, it, watch, watch how it naturally, without any preconceived ideas, comes out pre-trip. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, that is the rapture. Right. Right? We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, what's the day of the Lord? That's the big question. So you got the rapture, and then you got these false teachers, by the way, false teachers, who are saying the day of the Lord's already come. Well, the day of the Lord uh, in the scripture is very clear. There's a lot of attributes about it, Old Testament, New Testament. But one thing that's very evident of the day of the Lord is it's a time of God's wrath. And then the Bible is very clear that when the seven-year tribulation starts, Revelation 6-1, Daniel 9-27, the final week of Daniel's seven-week prophecy, it is an outpouring of God's wrath for the next seven years nonstop. So therefore, since the day of the Lord is an, a day of God's wrath, that means the day of the Lord starts at the seven-year tribulation. So knowing that biblically, let's go back. 
Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become the rapture. We ask you not to become uh, easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord, i.e. the seven-year tri tribulation has already come. What's that? They're basically saying, you've been left behind. You're in the seven-year tribulation. Right. And what's Paul say? Keep reading the very next verse. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. In other words, don't listen to these people. That's a deception. Right? Do you see how this is just flowing like butter? Yeah. Leave it alone. And it does not disagree with the pre-trib. It actually proves pre-trib. Exactly. But he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Deceiving what? What's the context? That saying that you're going to be left behind in the seven-year tribulation. We leave it the rapture. And then he says this. Not only don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, er, stop right there. Day, what day? The rapture? No. What's the context? The day of the Lord, meaning the seven-year tribulation, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. Okay, so when is the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, revealed? Daniel 9, 27. That's when he proves that he is the Antichrist. He makes that covenant right. with the people of Israel. That's what starts the event. So that day will not come until what? He's revealed. Daniel 9, 27. Which, again, still fits with pre-trib. But keep reading. Right. He's the man doomed to destruction. He's going to oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God as worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation. Again, Daniel 9, Matthew 24, Jesus yep. talks about it. And so Paul talks about it here where he goes up and declares himself to be God. Exactly. That's the midway point of the seven-year tribulation. Right. Now watch this. And Paul, he's beside himself. Right? Chrome's translation, he says this. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Chrome translation. Hello, McFly. Right. How many times are we going to go through this? Now, right. What's the context? The context is this is Second Thessalonians. Right? So what's that mean? After First Thessalonians. What did Paul deal with in First Thessalonians? The rapture. The classic rapture right. passion. Yeah. One of them. First Thessalonians 4. Exactly. And so he had to write Second Thessalonians to, to what? To, to correct false teachers that after Paul left with 1 Thessalonians, he had to correct them because they came in behind him and said, oh no, the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation, you've been left behind. You're in the seven-year... No, and he says, he's, don't you... Come on, guys. We already went over this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so in your book, Apostasia, Lee, you, you give four main arguments. Yes. You give a contextual, a grammatical, an exegetical, and a theological. That's right. Now, can we run through those uh, in a decent speed? Yeah, we sure can. Okay, great. So if we start with the contextual argument. Okay. Now, uh, it's claimed that the context of Second Thessalonians, the whole context is the rapture, and therefore we should take the word apostasia in verse 3 of chapter 2 as a reference to the rapture rather than to apostasy. Okay. But I think this is a mistake when we look at the context. In chapter 1, the context is the second coming aspect of the day of the Lord. Yes. That there's going to, judgment's going to fall upon the world and God is going to vindicate the believers, deliver the believers, and he's going to bring judgment on the ungodly. Right. When we come into chapter two, we have a focus both of the dawning of the day of the Lord in the tribulation associated with the Antichrist, and we have the arrival of the fullness of the day of the Lord with the judgment that brings an end to the Antichrist. So the context of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the day of the Lord. Right. Now, in that context, when you look at what goes on with the Antichrist, um, he is going to introduce the greatest apostasy in the history of the world. So yes, apostasy is in the context, and the day of the Lord is the context. So really, when we look at... Um, what we have for the rapture mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 2, mm -hmm. this is mentioned not because it's the heart of the context, 
but because the, the Lord is trying to communicate through Paul. You guys are worried about your tribulations and your trials. You're worried about the day of the Lord, whether you might be in the day of the Lord. I just want you to know, you are going up. You are not going through. You will not see the day of the Lord. And so the rapture is mentioned not because it's a context, but because you don't have to worry about the context, Absolutely. which is the day of the Lord. Yeah, and let's just do this for a second. Let's read yeah. the context. Yeah. I think it's important to just read what the scriptures say. So just quickly, Second <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now concerning our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together yeah. to him. That's the rapture. That's right. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Amen. And then to the verse in uh, question here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's right. So Paul really, in four verses, lays out what's coming. That's right. He lays out eschatology. There is going to be a day of the Lord. There is going to be an antichrist. There is going to be a rapture. And there is going to be a falling away, a that's great a, apostasy. That's exactly right. Okay. Yes. Great. And so contextually, it's there. That's exactly right. All right. Now, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we come to the grammatical <clears throat> argument. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, it's pointed out, and I think it's legitimate, that apostasia comes with the definite article. Okay. So it's not just an apostasia. So it, it's not just an departure or an apostasy. Mm -hmm. This is the departure or the apostasy. So it's specific. It's yes. a great one. Yeah. And so the, I think that observation is legitimate, but it doesn't answer the question for us. Just because we have a definite article here doesn't tell us whether this has to be the rapture or has to be the apostasy. Okay. We still have to decide on the context and on the historical background and on the whether the meaning of departure is even available, physical departure is available for the Greek word apostasia. Gotcha. So we can't just uh, make an argument based on grammar. No, no. Okay. So what about the third argument that you make in your book, Apostasia, the exegetical argument? Well, people want to draw a parallel between verses 1 through 3 okay. with the rapture and then the apostasia mm -hmm. in, the, in the Antichrist. And then they come down to verses 6 and 7, where we have the removal of the restrainer, which is understood to be the removal of the church yep. and the removal of the Holy Spirit's working in the church. Mm -hmm. And so then they want to connect these two things. So they want to have a removal in verse 6 and 7 and a removal in verse 3. Okay. And so I think it's legitimate to want to get these two passages connected. Um, but here's the, here's the rub. We don't have to have... Uh, apostasy in verse 3 mean the rapture departure to have that parallel. Okay. We already have the rapture departure in verse 1. Right. There it is. So it's clear it's there uh, in a broader context. Yeah. When you back it up a little bit more yeah. and you're like a Berean and you search the scriptures and understand what's really going on there. That's exactly right. Okay. 
So fourth argument then in your book, Apostasia, is the theological argument. What is so important about the theological argument? Well, the argument is presented that theologically we can't regard apostasia as apostasy. Okay. Because there's always been apostasy in the church. Well, this is wrong. And so they're saying, well, there's always been apostasy. What's going to be the difference between this apostasy at the end of the age when how is it going to be different than any before? Sure. Well, this is wrong on two levels. Okay. The first level that it's wrong on is that the context here is not the church age. The context is the 70th week. Mm-hmm. So the apostasia that it's looking at here, the apostasy, is something that's associated with the 70th week, not the church age. Okay. So it doesn't matter whether or not we think that uh, that every apostasy in the church age is the same and we're going to have a hard time telling them apart. We're not talking about the church age. Okay. We're talking about the 70th week. Okay. Now, the second one is, uh, the fact is, the apostasy at the end of the church age actually is significantly different and beyond all the apostasies in the previous history of the church. How so? Well, here's a couple ways. Okay. First of all, during the entire history of the church age, there's always been people that were engaged in moral perversion uh, in the church and in the world in high places. Of course. But it was in the closet primarily. Mm-hmm. Now we come to the end of the age. We're moving in the era of Sodom and Gomorrah. This stuff is coming out of the closet. It's not only coming out of the closet, it's thrown in our face. Mm-hmm. We're berated because we have a wrong moral fabric and a more wrong moral foundation. And this kind of wickedness is going to a degree that we have never seen in the church age. True. Another point is just the general philosophy that's behind the apostasy of the last days. When we come into the 1600s and we see the rise of rationalism, we come into the 1800s, we see the rise of evolution, Mm -hmm. we come in later in the 1800s, early 1900s, the dominance of uh, public education that's been dominated by Marxist theology Mm -hmm. uh, and, and philosophy. And then this ball just keeps rolling until we come to an era now where the whole world is moving into uh, an evolutionary mindset. And we've, tr- we're going beyond materialistic evolution now. Yeah. Now evolution is, is moving into a supernatural evolution okay. where uh, it's religious in its nature. And they're coming to a point where they're looking for God figures who are evolved beyond us who they can worship. Gotcha. So okay. that's yep. where this is going. And so we have some big, big differences between the apostasies in the past and the apostasies now. Okay. So we're, in essence, trending towards the tribulation, That's right? That's exactly it, right. If you picture it, this is how I, I picture it, and I'm a, I'm a visual guy. Um, so you just imagine that the tribulation is this great wall. Yeah. With, it just says tribulation there. And as we get closer and closer to the tribulation, that darkness, the shadow that's cast by that big T tribulation yep. is, is getting more and more thick, more that's and more exactly right. dark. We are laying the foundation for the apostasy of the tribulation right now. The Antichrist is not going to come on the scene, wave a magic wand, and the world's going to go from bright light to, to a bright, uh, to, to the immense darkness of the tribulation overnight. Right. What, what they're going into is... He's going to come into a stage that's already set. That darkness is ready to roll when he comes into power. And we are setting the stage with our apostasy right now. And this apostasy right now that we are seeing is unprecedented in the last 2,000 years. I absolutely agree. And I think it, it points us to, to what Paul says 
uh, in Romans chapter 1. That's what I've been trying to get to here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but it, it's very scary. Romans 1, uh, 28 through 32 ends this way. Yeah. It says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness. That's right. Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. You tired yet? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. And this is the the cherry on top, right? They not only do them but give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's exactly right. This is that great trending towards the, the apostasy, right? Exactly right, yes. Okay, so theologically, it makes sense that there has to be a, for lack of better terms, capstone apostasy. That's exactly right. And so the argument that it can't mean apostasy because it theologically doesn't fit, it's completely bankrupt. The mm-hmm. argument does not really actually work. So you can't use that as well, we then we got a default to the rapture interpretation. Okay. Well, great. Again, let's hear what Mondo Gonzalez with Prophecy Watchers has to say about Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There's a little bit of controversy uh, with some pastors that are in, in their teachings. Let, let's go over Second Thessalonians 2 verse oh. 3. How about, give us your take on that. Yeah, th- this, to me, this is the key, this is one of the key passages that people use against the, the rapture, and uh, can we read it? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the the flow of the text is often misunderstood, and uh, I've done a lot of study on this, and um, <clears throat> especially you know not trying to be super technical, but if, if you do if you look at it in the Greek, it's very helpful to understand the flow because Paul is making an argument here, and there's some very technical things which we won't get into today, but. Uh, people just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very technical. Um, but he says this. Um, we know that Paul, of course, has taught the rapture in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Right, first th- so in chapter 5, he's talking about the times and seasons. So there's a context of the church, of the Thessalonians, that he had taught them about prophecy. He had taught them about the day of the Lord, about the Antichrist, nothing. And then they responded with some questions. They thought that they were possibly in the tribulation period. Right, right. And so he writes, he says, now concerning... The coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him. Well, that's the rapture. Right. Okay. So then what's happening here is, is he talking about the rapture? Or is he talking about, which we'll see, he says, so he brings up the rapture idea. The rapture comes up first. We ask you about the rapture, us being gathered. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So what he does now is he switches topics. He says, hey, about the rapture, don't, don't, don't get confused. But the confusion comes if you think that the day of the Lord has arrived. Right. He, he said, now I'm going to talk about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the seven-year period of judgment, Tribulation. tribulation. Yeah, exactly. That's going to land on the earth <clears throat> as a surprise. He said that in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. It'll come on them when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon right. them. So he says, let no one deceive you in any way, verse 3, for that day. Now, the word that day is not in the Greek. It's not. But the context, he just got done saying, let, no, let nobody be alarmed as if the day of the Lord has arrived. It's not even will come or even has come. The, the Greek is very specific. 
that the day of the Lord has arrived. He says, that let no one deceive you. That day will not arrive unless the apostasy has come first. And the man of sin has been revealed, the son of destruction. So what he's saying there is, <clears throat> many people will say, oh, well, what, first of all, what happens has to happen before the rapture is the apostasy. Right. Well, first of all, the rapture's not... not Nothing has to happen. No, and the rapture's not being talked about. He brought it up as an, as, a, as an introduction into the day of the Lord topic. And then he says, by the way, oh, they go, oh, well, fine. Then the apostasy has to happen before the day of the Lord. If you notice in there, it never uses the word before. Right. Ever. Right. It says, it's basically saying, hey, if, if you thought, <clears throat> let's say that the, the, the conference started today, today, and uh, yesterday you and I were talking to you, oh, Mondo, I mean, everything's going so crazy. I feel like I'm in the conference. And I would say, hey, Ken, look, you, the conference cannot be here right. because Billy speaks first. Right. Have we seen Billy speak first? No. So then we clearly can't be in the conference. And so that's what he's saying there. It's not that something Billy's going to How could Billy speak before the conference? Right. He can't. Right. What, what Paul is saying is that the day of the Lord cannot have arrived. And he's saying, hey, guys. Do you see, and have you seen the apostasy? No, well, then you're clearly, the day of the Lord is not here. It has not arrived. Do you see the man of sin? No, well, clearly the day of the Lord right. is not here. That's the flavor of what he's saying. Right. So one last question for yeah. you. So we talked about a great apostasy, yes. coming, the apostasy coming. Yeah. So how can knowing that there's going to be a great apostasy yeah. bring hope to anyone? Well, it's going to bring hope the same way that any aspect of the signs of the times can bring hope. It can okay. only bring hope in an indirect way. Mm. So I like to tell people, when you see a road sign that says, Ugly is five miles away, mm -hmm. you know that before you come to Ugly, we're going up in the rapture. There you go. And so that's the way this works. When we see this great apostasy building, we are really approaching... Uh, so the world is actually completely filled with Antichrist darkness. Well, before that comes to that place, we have to go up. Mm. Amen. We do have to go up, and that's what we look forward to. Amen. That's our blessed hope. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in this week. It's been great to have Lee with us. Hopefully you're encouraged, and hopefully you're spurred on to be a Berean, a Berean to study God's Word. It's what should take up a majority of our time. Until next week, keep looking up for your salvation. Draws near. <laughs>